0: And so, you know, when I would feel conflict coming, I'm someone who wants to talk about it right away. That's not how everybody feels. You know, yeah. there's a processing time, there's uh, you know, there's might be some fear in it. And so on our family bulletin board, I was really clear about coming to some communication norms for our family that would be reviewed um, at mid-year, every year. Just the kids were growing, you know, we're all changing and different things are going. And Initially, my mother-in-law just thought, this is just over the top. This is too much, right? Did she you know? say
1: that to you or you just felt it from her? No, she said, this is different. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> that. What that about. means all those things. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load my perspectives are based in my first-hand experience raising kids but also rooted in my phd in child development so you're going to hear conversations that are based in research but more importantly real life thanks for joining us hi there happy february danae here thank you so much for tuning in I'm coming to you live from my mini microphone in the middle of Columbus, Ohio, because I am stranded here. I flew in this week. I did a live event with the minimalist Joshua and Ryan for their book tour, and I knew there was a big storm coming in, so I knew it was risky. Sure enough, my 6 a.m. flight this morning was all set to go. I was on board. It was one of four flights leaving out of Columbus, Ohio today. Everything else got canceled. And we got on the plane. The plane was de-iced. We sat there for an hour or so waiting. And all of a sudden, the pilot announced that there was too much ice on the runway. So they were closing the runways. And that we were going to go back to the terminal and we could rebook our connections there. So I immediately got on the phone and booked a hotel for the night, knowing that everything else was canceled for the rest of the day. So I make my way over to the hotel. I get checked into my room. Two or three hours later, looking out the window of my airport hotel, and I see a plane taking off. And sure enough, it's my plane. (laughs) My plane was not canceled. It was just delayed. And I somehow missed the memo. I think I had my headphones in. So now I'm stranded because I sat here watching my plane take off. (laughs) And I'm telling you this story because last week... I was talking with Mr. Chaz about mistakes and the importance of admitting mistakes and knowing that our kids are human and they're going to make big mistakes just like us. This mistake has left me stranded for at least another day or two. And as a result, I'm on my little tiny lapel mic. So if the show sounds a little bit different this week, that's why. This is definitely the longest I've ever been away from my kids. I have a little separation anxiety. But sometimes a forced break, some forced quiet, isn't necessarily a bad thing. So I'm trying to embrace it. My husband is doing a great job holding down the fort all by himself. He's doing so great that maybe I should do this more often, but perhaps go somewhere a little sunnier. Nonetheless, I have a great episode for you today. I'm talking with Kanisha Baynard. That's her voice that you heard in the intro. Kanisha and I are talking about multi-generational families. Kanisha is a coach, an author, a workshop facilitator, and also an educator. She's the founder of the Bold Living Community. I'm so grateful that Kanisha was willing to tackle this sensitive topic with me. International friends, please weigh in on this. But the American perspective to multi-generational family, especially multi-generational family living, Is not one that has really embraced it warmly in recent generations. But with COVID and childcare challenges, things are shifting. Many of you know that we sold our house in 2020 and downsized. And in the process, our realtor told us that an overwhelming number of the people that looked at our house were looking for a multi-generational home, which I thought was fascinating. So today, Kanisha and I are talking about this pendulum shift. Or swing, rather. I really enjoyed hearing her perspective and her experiences and how she works with families around this challenge. Look at me. I'm saying challenge. I'm inserting all my stuff into this. Who says it's a challenge, right? I do want to give you a heads up that next week I'm going to be opening up my Partners in Parenthood program. If you and your partner are looking to find some common ground to meet in the middle around parenting and child behavior and you need some extra support, definitely check it out. Go to simplefamilies.com forward slash partners. I offer this program as an independent study and also a coaching option. I only take a very limited number of one-to-one coaching clients, so be sure to inquire early if you're interested. If you want to get on the wait list and learn more about it, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash partners. Without further ado, here's my chat with Kanisha. Hi, Kanisha. How are you? I am doing great, Danae. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for chatting with me. My pleasure. I'm so excited. So I heard you recently speak on another podcast about the topic of multi-generational families. And I thought to myself, when I was getting ready to plan out this episode, I was thinking, what am I going to call it? And the first word that came to mind, I'm going to be totally honest, was multi-generational family conflict. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Conflict was the first word that came to mind. Do you hear that a lot?
0: I hear conflict, terror, um, (laughs) things of my nightmares and all kinds of not so happy words when the idea of multi-generational, multi-generational living, vacationing, things like that come up. There are some definitely strong reactions to the whole
1: concept. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your interest in it and your experience with it?
0: Absolutely, Um, I am married and I have two children And my children are almost eight years apart, and part of that was due to my husband and I finishing grad school, growing our careers, and really wanting to be great parents, but at the same time being very much away from home and working. And so we took a little bit of time to decide if we were going to expand our family. And when we finally decided to have our second child, We were like, well, how are we going to fold in another child into our already busy lifestyle, the way we work, the way we do things. And I just mentioned to my mother-in-law one day, she was checking on us, seeing how the pregnancy was going and things like that. And she just, you know, haphazardly said, well, maybe I'll sell my house and move in with you all and take care of the new baby. And I was like, are you serious? Like, don't play with me because, you know, that sounds enticing, because I was really stressed out about quality um, childcare and would I have it be able to fit my schedule because my husband and I both decided when we had children that I would um, play the role of the lead parent. So the one who's most in contact with school, um, the one who is kind of facilitating the different things we need and just letting him know what he should do. And that was a great role for me because I am an educator. So I understand schools and the schedule and it was just a natural fit. But then I was thinking in my mind, having my career in education, I was working at a university at the time and having this other child. And sometimes you have these surge in business. And then other times where there's a lull, how was I going to make it work? And so with a lot of discussion and um, moments of terror and thinking about it, My mother-in-law moved in with us when our second child was born and we had a multi-generational household for five and a half years until my family and I relocated from my husband's job. And my mother-in-law decided that she wanted to move back to where she was originally from.
1: So she was with you from the time your son was born for five and a half years. Correct. Not only was she just with us when he
0: was born, she was in the the delivery room because my mother-in-law is a birth doula and a in addition to a massage therapist. So she was really there from him arriving into the world until we moved when he was five and a half. So oh. it was very, as she put it, she never knew the thrill of being with a grandchild from the very beginning up until that oh. point. She said it was the most thrilling thing of her life. Can I ask how big your house is or what the living quarters were like? Mm -hmm. so at the time we were living in Colorado we live in California now that was the relocation but when we lived in California we had a house that was about 2200 square feet but it had three levels it had a basement that you could walk out of and then um the main floor and then the third floor which had three bedrooms so when my mother-in-law moved with us we moved her into the basement area one for privacy and two it's quiet down there when she wanted to um breakaway from the children and it gave her enough space to have like a bedroom and a living room area because there were two um, rooms down there and so um, I had to give up my uh, exercise room to accommodate that but that was fine and so uh, we had enough space for outdoor living too um, the Colorado lifestyle is very much four seasons in any given week and so it our house really lent itself to a lot of um, movement because we had the space broken up. It wasn't a full open layout. I'm not sure how an open layout would have worked. <laughs>
1: yeah. What did your husband think?
0: Well, I mean, when I told him, I said, you know, your mom said this. And what did you think about that? And he just looked at me. He was like, I want to stay married. So <laughs> what do you think about this, you know, more so? And I, one thing my husband and I, we are well matched in the, in the sense that we lead with logic, both of us, you know, I'm an educator, he's a scientist. So we always want to discuss the things, you know, long discussions are our thing. And so it was like, you know, a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, you know, type discussion around what we wanted to do. And when he saw how, you know, committed I was to you know, we'll have the benefit of her with this new baby, but then with our older child who was going to be turning eight once the new baby was born, you know, that would give us opportunities for her to have different extracurriculars because we had somebody who could take her places after school when both of us were still at work and we couldn't stop working at three o'clock to get her to a, from school to a different extracurricular. It We thought about the, um, the pros of my mother-in-law being an artist and my husband learned to sew from his mom and I was thinking oh my gosh we can go back to like little house on the prairie days the kids can learn how to sew my mother-in-law is an excellent baker I do not bake I am the person who buys the tub of cookies and like scoops it out and bakes (laughs) I'm talking about real baking and things like that some of those like really important skills that you know, I think people should have it, you know, in their lives that I might not be able to teach the kids one, because my lack of skills, my husband had those skills, but he had lack of time. And so having a grandmother who is completely invested in these kids because they're her grandchildren, I just thought that would be, it would outweigh, outweigh any cons. And it actually did. And that's when I really um, started talking about multi generational living, configuration temporary multi-generational situations, ones that are chosen, ones that you are thrust into because you don't have a choice, which I think a lot of people um, have been thrust into the last two years, multi-generational living arrangements. Um, I've been very busy on my coaching roster because of that. And um, I think it's a old school concept that is kind of re-emerging because people are thinking about quality of life more so than just independence. And so I think we're going back in many ways to some old school, if you want to call it that ideologies around what families can be and what they will look like.
1: Yeah. Interesting. The pendulum swings, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How I feel like there's so many new ideas of what family looks like, but also kind of reconsidering some of the old ones that we can also bring with us as we move forward too.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing for us that comes out sometimes. I used to run a blog specifically about our living arrangement, but you know, when that ended, I stopped running that. But one thing we talked about is we are a multicultural family. So in addition to, you know, the multi-generational piece, you have the cultural level. And for my family of origin, um, multi-generational households were not um, an odd thing. You know, my parents are from um, Southern states and so you had the family farms. And so as people got older, they lived on the farm, they supported the farm and worked on the farm. And my husband also has a rural background. Um, he grew up on a farm and his mom grew up on a farm, but then they were um, multi-generational in the sense of the town, but they weren't necessarily living in under the same household. So I think um, some core values that both of us had grown up with really drove our decision to enter into a multi-generational household And I think people are starting to talk more about these family concepts, the heritage, the traditions. People are really into ancestry and they're learning about themselves in a different way. One, because they have time and they've been stuck at home. And two, it's really a fascinating topic. And I think with our family, even when we were having challenges within the multi-generational situation, because there were challenges, I would not ever pretend that it was like my mother-in-law moved in, we skipped around the house, everything was beautiful. No, it wasn't like that, but it did gave us, give us a conver- uh, opportunity to develop relationships that were deeper, more honest, and to really be clear on the types of communication that would serve all of us so that these really, this relationship could grow and thrive instead of having a bad experience where it would, um, strain things.
1: Right. And you know, conflict is inherent in all intimate relationships, but within conflict within family relationships is different than conflict within friend relationships because friend relationships are more, I hate to say disposable. Is there a better word for that? It's kind of like I, I would say, like the uh, the tentacles of connections are easily detachable. Yes, and then- or not easily, they can be detached. They're not so easy all the time, though. Right. So then, the I feel like the in-law relationship is kind of wavering in between the two of those because at least one person within the family has those um, those intimate connections from childhood, and then the other one may not feel that intimate connection, and conflict may lead them to push back or to walk away more likely. I don't know. What's your experience with that? Does that make any sense? I did a very yeah, poor makes... job of explaining that.
0: <laughs> no, I think anyone who is um, coupled or married and has in-laws of, you know, whatever nature will understand exactly what you said, because I think about, you know, I'm a daughter and I'm very connected to my mother and my husband's a son and he's connected to his mother, but I'm his only child. So I've never seen a son-mother connection, you know, so up close than the one that my husband's had has. And so that was a great fascination for me to observe what that looked like and to kind of project that onto myself in building a relationship with my own son because our second child was a son. And so it was like, okay, this is a great um, informal mentorship. And so that um, deepened my relationship with my mother-in-law in a different way. You know, you're not just my mother-in-law, but you're also this you know, mother mentor in the sense of a son. You're a mother mentor in the sense of, you know, a real, since my mother-in-law is an artist, you know, a kind of open concept family where we're always doing projects. We're always going with the flow of the children's discovery and things like that, which, you know, I'm not opposed to, but would I have come on, come to that on my own? So in looking at the different ways, you know, I feel like all of us kind of fell into our lanes of where our leadership would be. And when we started veering off the lanes, that's where some cons- conflict showed up, just because, you know, we're overstepping, we're overdoing, we're over talking, we're not listening. And um, for our family, I mean, just because I, I wouldn't say just because, you know, I'm Kanishan, I know this, but as a trained educator, you know, I'm really big on education because you teach it to your students, you work with your colleagues. It's part of your, it's a, it's a, um, a high level soft skill of your job. Right. And so, you know, when I would feel conflict coming, I'm someone who wants to talk about it right away. That's not how everybody feels, you know, yeah. there's a processing time, there's a, you know, there's maybe some fear in it. And so on our family bulletin board, I was really clear about coming to some communication norms, for our family that would be reviewed um, at mid year, every year, just the kids were growing, you know, we're all changing and different things are going. And initially my mother-in-law just thought this is just over the top. This is too much. Right. <laughs> Did you she know? say
1: that to you or you just felt it from her?
0: No, she said, this is different.
1: <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> that, what means, that means
0: all those things, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, she's like, this is different. And I go, it is, you know, because my mother would say the same thing. You yeah. know, they're both of the same generation And, um, and I just was like, yes, I'm going to honor what you said, but this is the outcome. I'm only focused on strong relationships, happy home, you know, all of us being able to have our voice, including the kids, you know, including that concept, because that's also a different concept for my mother-in-law's generation. And just saying, you know, we want to be happy. We don't want to be in, um, thrival mode, which is thriving and surviving. We just want to be thriving. You know, we don't want to be surviving. We don't be thriving. We don't want to be thrival. Like I want to be beyond right that. and you know it just took some conversations that were while you were getting coffee and just you know thinking about it and asking what, what she thought or she'd be making a meal when I'm coming in to set the table a huge benefit of multi-generational living for us is my mother-in-law loves to cook different foods she likes to take cooking classes so she was in charge of dinners that's like heaven to me so you know coming in and helping her being a sous chef and things like that but taking those opportunities just to practice the norms and then later refer back to them so that it was natural, it was genuine, it was enforced, and it was really embedded in what we um, wanted our communication style to be as a multi-generational family.
1: We're going to pause right here for a 60-second word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today is Byjus. That's spelled B-Y-J-U-S. Baiju's Future School is committed to helping students become creators and shift from passive to active learning. Baiju's Future School is a leading online learning platform. They currently offer coding and music courses for grades one to 12 and math courses for grades one to eight. Baiju's Future School offers small group and one-to-one learning. That way students can receive personalized attention. You'll find learning options that are interactive, activity-based, and inspire creativity. Join millions of parents supporting their kids' learning today. Right now, Byju's Future School is offering listeners their first class free. Go to byjuice.com slash podcast to sign up for your first class absolutely free. That's byjus.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and back to my episode with Kanisha. let's go back really quick to when you said, when she said, this is different. So when you just, when you said that all sorts of stuff came up for me, right? (laughs) Like this is different means this is bad. This means it's overkill. You think I'm crazy. Like all this stuff started swirling for me. And I, I love how you basically just took it back to, I just acknowledge it. Like, yes, this is different, right? Just reading those words, hearing those words without putting all your core beliefs in there too. Is that do you is that hard for you or do you find yourself is that a work yeah partner?
0: it's hard for me in the sense of i want to push on it immediately i want to push back on that i want to say well why would you say that yeah and i understand with my mother-in-law she is a processor like you know we could have a strong conversation when i say strong like meaning emotional you're not arguing but you know it's really deep it's it, it's important and she can't really respond to me or anyone. It's not just me right away. And then in a day or two, she might write you a text, an email, or come talk to you about it because she's really been thinking about it. And I know some people can be impatient with that. And I'm not the most patient person, but I appreciate the time, the thoughtfulness, and that she knows it's important. So she's going to spend the time thinking about it. And you know, I might want it resolved in an hour. It might take two days. you know, that's also different. I'm different too. And I think because we were um, married about eight years, my husband and I, before my mother-in-law entered into this multi-generational household with us, you know, I knew those things about her, but then I was having them in real time every day. So it took an extension of my patience. you know, me assisting the situation and, you know, my expertise of communication for an example or her assistance and her expertise of managing more than one child. You know, she had a two and a half year old, and then she had twins. So you know, she had small kids, and she just knows how to manage that. You know, all at the same time. Where I was like, oh, I have a seven year old. Okay, now, now new baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> type thing. And so you know, her assistance and that, and then us learning together and growing up together. And I did say to her, I said, okay, when you come, we're all growing together. We're all back in school of family. And she just thought that was the hilarious thing, but she understood it because she used to run a preschool. She's raised these children. You know, she's kept her nieces and nephews. She has a a total of six grandkids. Our youngest is the last grandbaby. And so, you know, we're learning together. And um, I think she understood the value of those interactions, even though it might have been Might have been kind of silly in the beginning or difficult in the beginning or scary, even um, because I can only imagine. And I'm thinking, she hasn't said this to me, but you know, I'm a mother, my son is much older. And, you know, as a mother in law, I would be worried if my son's partner, wife um, was upset with me, how that would affect their relationship, and then how my son would view me. And I imagine she was always negotiating that for herself, too.
1: Yeah. I think about so there's this book called Far from the Tree by Andrew Solomon. Have you ever heard of it? I have. Yes. Have you have you ever opened it up? It's 1000 pages long.
0: I haven't. No, but I I, I always hear references to it okay. about the John research
1: base and yes, go ahead. It's it's a big one. So it's yeah. it's big because it's physically big, but it's also just super heavy. I've talked I talk about it all the time on the podcast because it's just it feels very um Insightful for me in many ways, but one essentially what he talks about is there are kids who fall far from the tree, who mm. have different identities, different interests, different um, ways of living than their parents, and then there are kids who fall close to the tree, and the kids who fall farther from the tree often struggle to have more of a connection with their families of origin. It's not as easy for them to connect and have that ongoing relationship. I mean, there's much more to the book, but that's kind of that's one of my big takeaways from it, and. I think about how this impacts multi-generational families, especially when the child marries someone who falls far from the tree. Mm -hmm. So like, I think about, like I have a friend who was raised in a conservative Catholic family with married parents, and then he married an atheist who was raised by a single lesbian. So, you know, she, he married a, a woman who was far from his family of origin tree. And they're living a life that looks very different than his own parents lived. And what is that? How does that impact family connection? And is it possible to still have that close intergenerational family bond? What do you think?
0: Well, my husband's definitely far from his family tree. <laughs> okay. Way far from how he was raised and everything, like, you know, when people meet us. And, you know, we talk about our families or they're like, how did you two get to go get together? I mean, really, I don't even know how we ended up in each other's orbits, but then there's college. And so that's how that happened. Right. <laughs> but, um, I think one of the things that was a challenge for our family and, um, was this, um, quote unquote, and I'm putting in quotes, cause I don't feel this way, but our society does this racial awakening. You know, I'm a person of color. I'm a black woman. I've been awakened like my whole life, like this has just been my existence. And so people coming to it and coming to learn about it is frustrating for people like me. And so with my husband, you know, it's just so interesting to see his perspective and how he takes his time and his outrage and where it's always, you know, just at the surface for myself. And with my mother-in-law moving in um, with us and, you know, talking to our older child at the time just because she was older and just about how society was going, how to protect herself. And these would be dinner table conversations, talking about politics and things like that. And my mother-in-law being visibly, not saying anything, but visibly uncomfortable just in her um, demeanor, flushing and things like that. This was so far from, you know, one, how she raised her kids, how she was raised, how her daily interactions with her siblings her peers and all that like these conversations just did not happen where it was like every third day or maybe every other day at the dinner table because you know that's what we did and sometimes she would you know say things like well don't you think that's an outdated um, ideology and I was like you know take me through it instead of like challenging her on it take me through why you would see it that way because you know I'm not your age You know, I am not, I didn't come into the world like you did. I don't have the same lens, take me through it. And that would be challenging to her because then she was trying to say the right things. And I'm thinking, no, these are norms. This is the safe conversation. People get to talk, you get to ask questions and then you get to react. There's not reacting first. And that was written as a norm. And um, those conversations became easier in the sense that she knew it was safe and knew I wanted to know her, but two, that she had to do some um, shifts in her thinking, but she had help with it. And I think for a lot of multicultural or multicultural and multigenerational families, but on the multigenerational side, if you don't have a structure for having those kinds of discussions, whatever the topic is, it's always going to be a problem yeah. because everybody is in protective mode. It's natural, it's human, and you don't want to do it wrong. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to be that person, whatever that is. And I feel like if you have a protocol, a list, a checklist, something in place, you can always refer back to it because that's the neutral touchstone for everyone. No one has the upper hand, no one's more right, you know. And then you all can just let's go back to the beginning and start again. Push the restart button and understand why you're engaging this way before everything shuts down and, you know, turns into a conflict that's hard to untangle from.
1: Yeah. So in your work, do you work primarily with individuals or do you work with multi-generational families, like different members of the different generations? Yes.
0: um, Usually when what happens for me, when people come to work with me, I do a lot of work with um, local agencies like nonprofits, uh, libraries, because I have such a cross-section way of reaching people. And then I get the one-on-one clients because they've learned about multi general, uh, multi generational families and things like that, and they want to do more for themselves and they didn't know that support was there. And so typically, it's one person coming with their initial conflict, and we start to untangle. And then I say, you know, this is an invitation for us to do some gentle untangling for what doesn't work. So it's not like this is time for us to get your mother-in-law online. This is a time to make sure that you know your partner's on your side. I always say, you know, it's an invitation for you all to grow out of this together. We want to grow out of it. You know, we don't want to stay stuck in it and we don't want to blame people and we want to just all be better going in the same direction with the right tools and having different responses, but understanding we have a structure. And I think the most fun for me is when people think about this in a way of taking themselves out of a situationship with family members. It's a situation that has caused this issue and then all of a sudden there's a fracture and then it becomes a situationships and those are not strong, those are not reliable, those are not deep and those are not safe for people.
1: Yeah, so let's pretend for a minute that Megan and Harry were your clients. (laughs) I mean, this is just like this core multi-generational family conflict. What, what do you think? Like, what would you do? Where would you, where would you take this?
0: Well, you know, let's say they're already married, right? And this mm-hmm. is where they're having me coming in, you know, because I would have done a lot before they even got married. Right. Um, not, not discouraged in marriage. I wanted them to get married. I had a whole tea party at my home for them <laughs> during, for the marriage. So I am invested. Right. But, um, you know, let's say, you know, they're expecting the first child and, you know, we don't know it's going to be Archie yet. And I would say, okay, let's talk about what it means to raise children. You know, as a family, I know you all have the royal family, but you know, these are modern times, you know, I'm American, she, Megan's American. Let's talk about what it means because this is the first time she's going to be a mother and she's over, you know, here in the UK.
1: Yeah. And so
0: get really close to that and then tease it apart for them because it's multi-generational and it's multicultural. And I would like even go further that, you know, what's the role of a grandparent? What does this look like culturally? What is this and really tease that apart? And then push on the areas that you know might be challenging you know we saw in the Oprah interview they were worried about what the skin color of the baby was going to be look like when I saw that I was like "Hmm, we had some similar conversations in my family I'm not happy to say Um, but they were better outcome than that and I would really push on Harry in this case based on what the responses were and say you know how do you feel about that and how could you be the protector What did that look for you? What would you have to do? What shifts would you have to make? And then if that didn't work, what would be your plan B?
1: Yeah. Really get clear on that. I think so often when we experience that deep hurt, you know, I think that the deep hurt that Megan felt when she heard that comment about skin color, Mm. that it's, it's almost like, that's it. That's it. We're done. And because that hurt is so deep, that cut is so sharp, but Interestingly, I'm curious for you, your experience in Mm -hmm. handling that different when it doesn't have, even if it is a deep cut, if it doesn't have to mean a break, it doesn't have to mean a separation. Mm -hmm. I
0: think for our experience, like with our first child, when she was born, I mean, you know, I'm very brown and my husband is super fair, but he's biracial and he's biracial. And, um, you know, our daughter came out (laughs) super fair. And my mother-in-law commented on it. And I just was shocked that she commented on it. And it wasn't negative. It was, I just was shocked that she would even mention like what, I didn't think it was a thing, you know? And then she was like, oh, she's way lighter than, you know, we anticipated. And I said, is that a good or bad thing? Before I put the judgment on it, like, what is this? And, you know, and she just said, oh, I kind of expected this and this, is this, this. And I'm like, well, look at your children. You know, we, we're, I think we're all going to do the whole diaspora. We're going to hit the whole, all the hues. And you should be proud about that. And she was just like, huh, okay. And it gave her an opportunity to reframe. And then further on down the road, you know, just talking about different things, like comments made, you know, as the kids grow, hair grow in comments about, oh, I thought it was going to be this and this and that, and just really under, just really un- untangling why that was a comment, why she would say certain things, and um, giving her more opportunities to have exposure and putting her in the role of a protector. This doesn't protect your grandson or granddaughter when this is said. This is why. How can I help you be better with that in your response if it happened? Yeah. And then she's like, okay, I have a different role. So I'm not blaming her for not knowing. I'm like, but what if somebody else did that? Said exactly what you said or did. How would you be you know, a protector of the kids? I'm not there. Your son's not there. And she's like, oh. And so I feel like maybe I had more time than Megan to do some coaching. And it's really not Megan's role. And it wasn't really my role, but I value my mother-in-law. I value my husband's relationship with her and she raised an incredible husband she raised for me (laughs) that's what her role was no she raised (laughs) an incredible son and I am appreciating I always remember that and so I continue to reinvest in the relationship because I think it's that important and um in Harry and Megan's case like if they couldn't have the conversations which it seems like they couldn't like you know there's so many structures and rules and things like that if they could not you know make space for these conversations. I think they did the best thing to remove themselves because you can only get as far as all parties are willing to go. Yeah, that's great. If they were the only ones wanting to do the work, then nothing can happen.
1: Right, and it sounds like in your situation, your mother-in-law had an open mind and was open to learning and open to growing, which do you think that's a huge factor in success in these relationships? It
0: absolutely is. I, and when I say, um, I don't want to say she had a closed mind because there was often some offense sometimes because, you know, the way she translated it is just like, she thinks I'm that person. You know, even if I haven't said that, cause you know, we have our internal dialogue. And so you have to understand, I have to understand my mother-in-law, anybody else involved That this is really about love. This is about the patience, the assistance, the learning. You know, we really want this to be right for the family, not so I can have the upper hand. And so you constantly have to remind: this is not a power play. This is not a power struggle. This is our family. And I told my mother-in-law, I said, you know, sometimes people consider outlaw, you know, in-laws like outside of the family. I'm like, you are a family. You are in the family. You, you know what I mean? So you are in here doing our things together. This is us. And that was a constant um reminder to her just because you know she had in-laws at some point. So she had her own ideology about what in-laws were. And so maybe I was bumping up against then that I don't know. But I wanted to redefine that for our particular multi-generational family. Yeah. And you know, and that was also a conversation I had to have with my own mother too. Like you know, now you have a living grandma. So the other grandma's like, wait a minute, what's my role? And I'm like, it's our family. This is how our family. So it wasn't just within the home. It was the extended part of the other set of parents too. And it, it took a lot of conversations and then they became their own team of grandmas because if my mother-in-law wanted to leave, um, you know, to go do her vacation, see her other children and grandchildren and things like that, we wanted that. And so she and my mom, Became like my mom was the sub granny nanny, as they call themselves the granny nannies. I didn't love that, that. but they—that was their their thing. Oh, granny nanny! I'm like, okay. (laughs) And so they would negotiate that just to keep one the floor of our family, and two, you know, elevate their roles. They're really helping our family be strong. They're helping me succeed in my career. They're helping my husband succeed, and we're raising great kids who are loved and nourished and and things like that. And I think they really as a grandmother team understood that was important and that we valued it. And then they built their own connection that they hadn't had previously, you know, within our eight years of marriage. Um, So that was, that was something I could not have anticipated, which was very beautiful.
1: So when she first came in and you approached her with this idea of we're going to grow together as a family, and she was kind of like, this is different. Um, I think you could have gone two directions, right? You could have been like, she doesn't want to participate. She's not willing to change. She's not willing to grow. Um, Just because she wasn't like full on, like, let's do this, like smiling, like with bells on. It sounds like she was open and she warmed up to it. Your sort of your openness to discussing mm-hmm. this and your openness to to growing together. But she wasn't like right out the gate ready and and knowing where this was going, right? No, no, no,
0: no. She wasn't at all. And, you know, I am a super talker. I like to talk about all the things and that that's just different from, you know, this is somebody who had been living on their own because their kids were launched and now you're back in a family where people are around all the time yeah. and you have to negotiate things again when she had a break from all of that. And now you have this daughter-in-law who's like, we're going to have protocols on conversations and communication. And it's just like, wait a minute.
1: Yeah. Did you ever feel like when she was living with you that the things she did well, that you didn't do well, were sort of faults of yours, like cooking. Did you ever feel like you were not enough because she was so good at cooking or she did so much of the cooking?
0: No, I feel like, I, I just remember this so distinctly um, telling some women that I knew, you know, when that my mother-in-law was coming and things like that. And, um, you know, you're out to coffee or on some kind of hike or something. So you don't know everybody intimately. And one of the women saying, um, what did she say? She said, if your mother-in-law is coming to help you with the kids, what is your, what, what are you going to do? And I said, be happy. (laughs) She just looked at me. I love that. And I just was, and now that I was prepped, I was like, I'm just gonna be happy and i said you all always complain about how tired you are yeah. how you don't even want to go on date nights how you know it's affecting your intimacy with your partner and stuff like that i said i'm gonna have breaks my meals are gonna be cooked oh my god i'm gonna be happy and they were just like okay and i did have a lot of questions of so is your mother in law in charge of the house are you not the lady of the house And things like that and i said you know i'm definitely not the lady of the kitchen and that's (laughs) great. i'm not
1: the lady of the kitchen i would be happy to give up that role any day you
0: know i don't i don't need that and i'm glad she was great at it and you know you know when you have to be those moms who are there's all those movies where the working mom makes these fake you know makes the um store-bought goods look homemade and stuff like i just didn't have to play that game I didn't have to negotiate it. I didn't have to get involved in it. I had help. And I just remember so distinctly watching Grey's Anatomy one episode, because there's a gazillion, when Sandra Oh's character is like, I wish I had a wife. And I was like, oh my gosh, I almost have my own wife. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like another woman, like saying yeah. the things that a lot of us wish yeah. when we're a partner like this. And I was like, oh, I am just doing so great. And this is not, and I'm a planner and this was not on my life plan. Okay. Yeah. Never.
1: I think that you got to do what so many of us say we want to do, which is sit down and take a break and breathe and have a little space. And there it's fascinating because I think we're caught up in if I could only get a break, but then also it's not okay to take a break. It's not okay to sit down. So we're kind of pulled back and forth between this dynamic as women and as mothers.
0: It's hard. Um, when I was working at the university, there were two other women in our department who had, um, parents living with them. One woman had her husband's parents, both of them, and another woman had her own parents. And when we found that out about each other, just randomly, I mean, we were like, isn't this great because of this? And isn't this great because of that? And we really were so excited to talk to other people who didn't question why you were doing, they just talked about the benefits and they questioned how you were doing certain things because you were negotiating like, oh, you know, when the grandparents get a little bit tired, how do you negotiate this? Or how do you keep the kids out of their way and things like that? And we had this small community, we were all women, we were all working and we just talked about how we were just, feeling less tense, overdoing all the time. None of us ever had to do that 5 or 6 p.m. grocery store run, which we hate because it's so crowded, because that could be done during the day. And, you know, this was before, you know, everyone was doing, like, delivery groceries. And so it was just really a comfort to find your own sub-community of people who were doing the same things and You could vent to when there was a challenge because they understood exactly what the issue is. Like this is just a small issue, but I love our setup as a multi generational family. But this issue is driving me nuts. Have you experienced it? What did you do? What was the resource? And I think what you said about you know women just say I wish I could stop. I wish I could rest. I could just sit down. There are not enough thoughtful conversations around that because then people are like, well, so-and-so is doing it well and they're doing that and they're able to manage it. And I think if we could just take the adulting part out of it, like we're supposed to be able to do these things as an adult, maybe so, but not at the same time. We need breaks. We need rest. We need help. We need support. We need a structure that is going to contribute to our thriving and be able to talk about that without, people judging us for it or thinking we're weak or unable, or we don't have it all together. I do think in the last two years, those conversations are spilling out of people just because they're not holding it together or holding it in anymore because it's unnecessary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kanisha, thank you so much for this. This is such a great chat and so many, so many good things to think about. My wheels are definitely spinning.
0: Oh, thank you, Danae. I love the opportunity to talk about families and support and specifically multi generational families because they do work when you put a lot of thoughtfulness and mindfulness into how you want yours to be.
1: Yes. And tell us where we can find you online.
0: Yes. So I am at boldlivingtoday.com. That is my website with the blog, the newsletter information, upcoming events, and ways that I can support um, groups, one on one coaching and um, any customizable events. And then you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kanisha baynart And then I'm also on LinkedIn, Kanisha Baynard. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Janae. Have a great, great day.
1: As always, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Kanisha. When you have a minute, leave a rating or review on iTunes. That helps this show to reach more people. Thanks so much. Have a good one.